Welcome to Bridge the City, a podcast recorded in the complex American city of Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Our mission is to bridge together people, resources, and ideas that inspire Milwaukee to action. My name is Kyle Hagee, and on today's show, we are going national. Yes, you heard that right. We're going national. And although this may seem like a very anti-Bridge the City move, I think this is actually one of the most fascinating interviews that we've done because it speaks to something so fundamental to to Milwaukee, but but really to any city and and to our entire country. And that is our experiment with democracy and all of its ups and downs. It's really about how we vote. It's about access to voting. um, And it's about the ways in which we marginalize or outright, you know, ban certain groups of people from voting and we can't think of a a much more important topic particularly when we're talking uh, locally than about voting itself and so the guest on the show today tie this all back together is hillary brasseth of votes Uh, and before i get into to votes and and what they do i want to give hillary a quick shout out one for obviously being on the show and providing a great interview but two, uh, she was a participant in our political open mics that we co-host with Milwaukee. Uh, Hillary was a speaker at our last event, absolutely crushed it, super engaging, extremely insightful. And if you're listening to this and you haven't attended a political open mic, uh, they're really one of my favorite things we do as an organization. Uh, it's really what Bridges City is all about, bringing people together and creating a sense of belonging and community that's centered around taking action in our city. And our next political open mic, we're going to be doing them again in 2020. It's going to be probably in late March. There's going to be more details to come, but it will likely be about transportation. So start getting your hot takes ready. Uh, We'll see you in late March and just keep an eye on our uh, social channels and Milwaukee social channels for more information. But now back to the guest of honor, Hillary and Votes. Votes is a mobile elections platform that makes it possible to vote from a mobile device. So you think of all the digital transformation that's happened in our entire economy, and sometimes you look at the government or the way we're voting, and you're like, oh, are, should we be doing more digital stuff, or are, are we behind? And I think there's lots of arguments. I'm not in, endorsing this by any means. I think there's lots of arguments for and against digital voting platforms or paper ballots and what have you. But this interview is really about kind of digging into that those gray areas. Um, but it is really cool because they're making history. Uh, they've used this platform in elections from college, you know, campus student government, but they've actually done it all the way up to the federal government. Like for the first time ever in an unprecedented pilot program, the state of West Virginia actually used votes for the 2018 midterms. And so this is a really kind of an up and coming technology. Um, it's still in its infancy, but they're doing some really cool things. And I think it just, is a great conversation and a great reflection on, again, kind of the heart of what we're calling democracy here in America. A really cool interview, so I won't give away any more spoilers. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Bridge the City, and I'll pass it off to Hillary. (laughs) 
My name is Hilary Brasseth, and I currently serve as the director of product for Votes. Hilary, thanks so much for being on, and I'm really excited to dive deeper into Votes. But first, I want to just get a little bit of, of background. This is a typical local Milwaukee podcast, and I know Votes is not in Milwaukee, but you have some Milwaukee roots. So can you just kind of talk about your connection to Milwaukee? Yes. It it runs very deep. It feels so good to be back in Milwaukee. This city has such a special way of exposing roots, I feel like. That's super unique that I've not found, frankly, anywhere else. There's such a deep pride among the people here um, to be from Milwaukee and to live in Milwaukee. And uh, so it feels really good to be back. I first came here for college. I was a Marquette University graduate. And I didn't dive too much into the city until halfway through my time here. And then I stayed for about a year right after I graduated and worked for a time for the city and uh, also spent some time as a waitress up on the east side. So I've walked these streets in most of the neighborhoods and um, feels really nice to be back. So thanks for having me. Yeah. And so you were a legislative aide, right? I Uh, was. For a little bit. Yeah. Great experience. I learned so much about what local government even is yeah um like the number of phone calls i got about potholes and snow cleanup it's just like that's what makes our city run yeah (laughs) and so i think that's a really unique perspective and i want to see how that ties into votes but you went from really local you just talked about how milwaukee can expose a lot of roots you feel a strong connection to the city you were working in city hall kind of doing the day-to-day stuff that a city needs to run but then i know you spent some time abroad in West Africa, if I'm correct. So how did you go from Milwaukee's great, I love local to I'm going to, you know, expand my horizons and go abroad? Mm -hmm. Great question. I so I also had done a semester on the Hill um, while at Marquette. And so I had tasted the super national side of things in, in the United States. And I think with those two experiences combined, I was starting to feel quite jaded about the state of the country. Uh, this was back in 2008, 2009. So you were ahead of the curve. <laughs> um, actually, I studied economics right when the Lehman Brothers uh, went under. I remember showing up to my macroeconomics class and Joe Daniels showed up that day with the textbook and basically announced, so everyone, uh, this textbook is getting rewritten right now. So feel free to either throw it away or put it down. <laughs> we're going to read articles the rest hilarious. of the semester. Anyway, the jadedness was real. Um, And I'd spent a lot of time in undergrad also going to New Orleans with an organization, student organization for post-Katrina relief work. And so all of these experiences really revealed to me um, like some deep divisions in this country that I think are surfacing today in our common cultural um, discussion um, around racism, um, around privilege, and those weren't really being talked about. And I think by the time I graduated college, I was very ready to experience viscerally a, a reality very different than what I knew and kind of wanted to flip upside down my understanding of the world as I knew it. And so um, Peace Corps was the best vehicle for me to do that without my mother 100% freaking out because there's right. some degree of structure. Right. Um, and so they, they decided to send me to Guinea, a country in West Africa. And how did your time there kind of reshape your perspective of what the United States was? Um, In so many ways, in two ways that seemingly conflict, 
but I think there's relationship and I think I grew a much deeper appreciation there for um, for what we do have in the United States in terms of structure and system to a certain degree. I mean, corruption there is is super rampant. I know it occurs in the United States, but there there's very little you can trust when it comes to trying to set up a business, for example. There's so much bribery at every corner that um, it's just there's deep challenge and also opportunity because you can right. bulldoze your way if you have enough means. Right. Um, and it also reshaped my perception of the U.S. Um, where I grew up an appreciation for a different cultural framework where value is so deeply placed on people and society and connection and relationship. And I think that that isn't as much of a priority in the United States. And so my time in Guinea really deepened my love and appreciation for how other countries prioritize connection and community. I love that. And and so the last thing I want to hit on before we get to votes is I know you worked for IDEO as well, which is a really cool design firm that I'm not super familiar with, but I know they do amazing work. What lessons did you take away from that experience? Uh, yeah. So when I first moved back to the States, I lived in the Bay Area in California. Um, my first project there was related to the Ebola outbreak um, in West Africa. So I, I was in Guinea when Ebola started and mm -hmm. Ebola started in Guinea. Wow. So in a very bizarre synergistic way, when I came back to the States, because I couldn't be there anymore, IDEA was, was trying to crowdsource ideas and solutions to fight that mm. epidemic. And so I think big takeaways for me during that time were how important design is and how important it is to really deeply understand all of the nuances of the challenge that you're trying to tackle um, and not just design for but design with the stakeholders that that impacts and that that is the best avenue to build trust it's the best avenue to build something that can be built to last I don't think it's something I didn't learn by virtue of living and working in West Africa either as a Peace Corps volunteer but IDEO yeah. Um, I think taught me how to do it in a, a quicker, rapid prototype type way yeah. um, to prototype solutions and, and be able to communicate those effectively. Right. And so you've had a lot of unique experiences. Some things I just heard, you, you talked about feeling jaded. You talked about kind of deep divisions. Uh, you went abroad and maybe got a different perception of the U.S. in, in relative terms. And then you kind of understood the power of design, designing with community. So that brings us to votes. Do you see your role with votes as kind of a, a unique synthesis of all these previous lessons you've learned? Or is this kind of another unique experience that you've stumbled upon? Uh, it certainly is uh, scratching all of the realms that were itching before. <laughs> um because what we're trying to do is something that's never been done before. Right. And so let's get into that. So what is Votes and what problem are you trying to solve? So, sure. So Votes is essentially uh, a new elections platform. Uh, the heart and soul of what we are, we're a cybersecurity company, but trying to make voting more secure, but also more accessible by making it possible to vote in elections from a smartphone. Can you share how the idea started? And then kind of what success you've had since that original idea. Definitely. So the company was founded by accident. 
by two brothers. Right. Like all good things. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Two brothers who actually grew up in India in the 80s. Um, And um, both are from a Sikh family, Mm. which is a a type of religious sect. Um, India has a very wide diversity of different religions. And so in the 80s, there was a lot of religious and political strife and backlash. And the prime minister was assassinated. Um, and so shortly after that, there was an election to elect a new prime minister. And Nimit, the co- one of the co-founders and CEO, has vivid memories of being a young boy as his grandfather took him to the polls against all advice because it was dangerous. Right. And Nimit <clears throat> watched as his grandfather voted at gunpoint hmm. and the militia took his thumb and put it in the ink pad and made him, you know, that's how voting happens in many um, countries around the world. Right. Stuck the thumb in the ink pad, stuck it on the candidate of their choosing. And so Mm. he left with a lot of impressions that voting is bad, politics is bad, and wanted nothing to do with it. Right. So he went on to pursue a career deep in the mobile security space. He was one of the first to implement um, mobile payments systems Hmm. um, in the early 2000s. And his brother, meanwhile, had deep experience building back-end architecture and systems. And they both happened to be at South by Southwest in 2014, wandered into a hackathon on accident, (laughs) hacked to the future. And (laughs) uh, one of the prizes of this hackathon um, this is back, you know, before the big hype was a Bitcoin um, and before the hype of Bitcoin. And so they both were very intrigued. What is what is a Bitcoin? Right. So they read Satoshi Nakamoto's white paper, the nebulous, really, anonymous. Really easy reading, light reading for the <laughs> yeah. fans of the podcast. Check it out. <laughs> uh, learned all about not just Bitcoin, but the underlying infrastructure blockchain. And they were like, wow, this is really interesting and actually could... Um, hold a lot of promise for securing data. Um, And so they ended up coming up with an idea at the hackathon of how to make voting safer in terms of allowing somebody to vote in the privacy of their home from a smartphone um, and have that data be able to be stored on blockchain technology so that should somebody be under duress when they voted, you could pull that up in their transaction to notice and pair it with a wearable and notice if their heart rate was out of the realm of normal activity. And then they could have the option to cast their ballot again. Hmm. They ended up winning um, to their extreme surprise. <laughs> and one of the other prizes was 30 minutes with an investor. Yeah. Before they even sat down with the investor, the investor says, don't waste your time. Hmm. This is one of the hardest things that you could ever take on. Right. And if you ever meet Nimit, <laughs> he doesn't back down from a challenge and took that as the invitation to uh, essentially quit his job and um, start pursuing this full time starting in 2015. Right. And so walk us through, I know there's been some recent um, kind of historic firsts that votes has been a part of. I know there's been a pilot project with West Virginia, but you know, walk us through one, why did the investor go, don't even pursue this. It's very hard to do. And then two, how have you been able to do some things that that investor probably thought would never happen? Yeah, so <clears throat> I think that he came from a place in terms of starting a company. So I think a lot of the general public doesn't understand, I did not understand before I started doing this, how elections are run here. And first of all, every single state does them differently. They have the choice to do it differently. And it is a business model. Um, every state essentially puts out an RFP or a request for proposals. And these 
there's basically four main companies that they contract out and and those companies are the ones that provide those big machines that you see when you go to your gymnasium at the high school and get your paper ballot and then it's fed into the machine. So these four companies have been around for a long time. And so for any new company to enter the space, it's extremely difficult to gain traction and also to gain trust. Um, And so I think that paired with um, the extreme political divide that that this country faces. Any company starting out has to be very deliberate about being nonpartisan. And so I think with all of those challenges, the investor said that it'd probably be near impossible to find any investors willing to back this idea, let alone be able to gain traction. Right. And But you have found investors then and you have gained traction. So just walk us through kind of that process and, and some of the wins you've had. Yeah. So we started out super small knowing that we would need to build trust and started running elections with school boards, universities for student government voting, um, cities, towns, you know, there's town halls on the East Coast. Eventually, we got a big break and ran convention voting for both state political parties, Democrats and Republicans, um, in Massachusetts and a few other states. And our bigger break came, I think, at the end of last year, 2018, the Secretary of State of West Virginia, who's a former military guy, really wanted to make voting easier for overseas military that you know are in the trenches and there's very little likelihood they would get a paper ballot. In fact, overseas citizens vote at a percent of 7% turnout, which is extremely low. In fact, potentially the most disenfranchised dem- demographic. Right. So long story short, he set his team on a task to find a system that could make it easier for them to vote without compromising security and found us. Um, and that was the the first pilot that we did at the national level ever. So in history was the first time anybody ever voted on a smartphone in a federal election right. during the midterms in 2018. So literally you made history in United States election with this pilot program. Very cool. Yeah. Very cool. <laughs> so I'm talking to someone very famous right now. Well, it's uh, not just, it's the company. It <laughs> right, is not me. <laughs> right. Well, it's, um, and so I, I have a few questions. So the first one is these four main companies that you referenced earlier. Why is the current system broken? Like why outside of, I, I see the application for like military overseas and particularly 7%. I know a big thing about votes is about access and clearly there's an access issue if people are voting it that low of a rate, but here in the States, like what is your value add uh, when you go and pitch and say, don't go with one of these four companies, go with votes because what follows that because? Mm-hmm. I think two, th- two main things. One is security. So our whole position is um, that mobile applications and mobile technology is far more secure than, for example, a web browser or sending a ballot via email, which is a a current option for these overseas citizens. Um, So they email their ballot to the county clerk. The county clerk opens up the email, sees who the voter is, so you relinquish your anonymity, and then they hand copy your votes onto a paper ballot that can be tabulated. And nobody knows this, but that's what's happening. it's really interesting. Yeah, interesting is a good word for it. Um, So one, I think, value add is, is security and therefore also preserving the voter's anonymity. And then secondly, I think access and um, providing a way to vote 
that is akin to the way that we live our lives. Mm. I mean, everybody, a lot of people in the States, I think the percent of smartphone ownership in the U.S. is around 80%. Um, and I think very few of us could witness the world around us and say that mobile technology in the last five years has has not revolutionized the way that we live our lives. It has from right. banking to healthcare. And so, especially when you look at future demographics, I think a, another value add is, hey, to these election jurisdictions, we need to start piloting this technology now in very responsible, well-measured, baby step ways so that we can learn and continue to iterate and build this to be resilient for the future that's coming. Because if we don't have this ready in 10 or 15 years, when millennials and younger are the big voting blocks, and only 20% of people show up to vote potentially, right. can we call ourselves a democracy? And I think that's what we're really interested in targeting. And so do you see this technology as supplementing the current methods of voting or replacing them? Definitely supplementing. I don't think that we would ever foresee a time where this would 100% replace the option to go to your polling place mm -hmm. and get a paper ballot. I think that's a lot of people like that physical act of patriotism and right. sure, let's keep it. Yeah. And so I'm just curious, um, how do you, if, if it is a supplement, how do you ensure people aren't double voting in person and on the application? Totally. So in the case of our system, there's a very strict identity verification process. Um, imagine that you're a voter who wants to vote this way. You apply for an absentee ballot, much like you would per usual, get in touch with your county mention that you want to vote mobile. Mm -hmm. From that point forward, you get put on a list and they maintain that list in parity with the list that's at the polling place. What happens in your world then is you download the application, sign up, take a picture of your driver's license front and back, take what we call a live selfie of your face. So you blink up and down, look left and right. Facial recognition matches the two and that's simultaneously make sure that you're on the voter registration list. And all of that data is tied to your thumbprint or your face ID on mm -hmm. your smartphone. And then we delete all of that identifying info. We don't want to hold on to any of it. Right. Don't want to enlarge our, you know, vulnerability footprint. Right. We don't need it at that point. Right. Your thumbprint then becomes your ticket in. Instantly, when it's voting time, you receive your ballot, make your selections and submit. Mm -hmm. When you submit, back at the jurisdiction for your name on voting day, if you show up, right. it will already indicate that you've voted. And so that is a preventative measure for overvoting. And if you tried to sign up with another phone, it wouldn't work because your it's a, identity it's is print. already... Right. Your thumbprint is still the same. <laughs> okay. And, and... Or your identity. Yeah. Right. Your identity is still the same. And you're, you've mentioned an, a need to be nonpartisan, um, which... Bridge the City is nonpartisan, but we're not non-political, if that makes sense. And I'm just curious. So I think in a perfect world, we would have everyone saying like voting is good and we should be increasing access to voting. And that's certainly what I think votes is what you're telling me that is part of your mission. Um, but we've also seen measures like across the country where like people are trying to get people not to vote. And so I'm just curious from your perspective is this offering another avenue for people to vote, which is good, but ultimately the the power behind who gets to vote isn't an access issue. It's a power issue. And, and how do we grapple with that? Mm. 
That's a really good question. I think so. So both parties like us for different reasons. Right. I'm going to say right off the bat. One likes us because in theory we increase the access to voting. Another one likes us because the security around who gets to get through the platform requires an ID. Mm. To us, the ID is a trade-off for the convenience of voting. We have to, we have to know who you are some way. But to answer your question, I think in a deeper way, I think power is a tricky thing. And I think in our perspective, um, I think perhaps that's also why the investor said, don't waste your time because power is not just a tricky thing, but it's a very deep seated and deeply interested, vested, interested. Right. Um, And I also think that we're in a time and in an era where the tables are turning and I don't know to what extent power can continue to maintain a grip on a founding principle of this country Mm -hmm. that at its core rests on the ability for everyone to vote. Now I know in those early days, not everyone had the right to vote. Right. Um, and there's been a lot of important changes that have been made since then. But the very bedrock of this country in theory says everybody has the ability to vote. Right. So I think, um, I think that if this could make it easier and if we do see more people voting, I don't know that that would be a bad thing. Right. And and I guess the proof is in the pudding. If it does increase turnout, it can be, it's a success and it works. Um, uh, the ID thing. So you need an ID to register for votes. And I get, that's the only way it could work. For a governmental election. Or, for a governmental election, correct. And so like in my mind, if I like hold power and my goal is to, decreased turnout for whatever reason and right now the pressure is like well you need to open more polling locations i'm too far away from my polling location there's not enough access like all the pressure is like increase polling increase access to polling and there you can argue around it but it's a tougher argument because there isn't this alternative and so for me i'd be like oh this is great because i can now now there is an alternative and i can say like oh we don't even need to open up more polling locations because mm. it's on the internet. It's on your phone. Mm. And so this is like, we're, this is full access. Everyone has access. You know, everyone has a smartphone. You can vote online, go to your library. You, if this is great, but the, the real power is like people have a phone, but getting ID is sometimes difficult. And like an issue we're seeing here is like the ID is a very tenuous relationship and that's really where the like power resides. And so is there a way that this gives people an out like, Oh, we've made voting more accessible, but really you've put all the weight on getting an ID. And if you can block people from getting an ID, you don't need to fix the polling locations and they can't use the new method. So like, it's just a very, no, that's such a good point. And I think we, have talked about this as a company too, of like the existential and ethical dilemma here. Um, And so in addition to ID, like we have an ability to verify you in a different way Hmm. where you scan a QR code that's sent to you. Nice. Um, And that's for, you know, if we were to do student government at Marquette, that's, that's how you would have access to that ballot. 
and all from votes, you could vote in all of your elections of whatever bodies you belong to. You just verify against those organizations. In the case of the ID, I think when we have discussions internally, we we have talked about we could potentially have a backup measure if somebody didn't have an ID or lost it or right. what have you, where there's like a verification, virtual verification process where we hop on a Skype call or a video chat, or we can head out to where you are. So hmm. in theory, establish um, virtual centers in cities right. and we have a tablet application, much like we have the um, mobile application, mm -hmm. and a representative could visit you at your home right. and make sure that you wouldn't even have to leave your house. Right. Verify your identity on site and allow you to administer your vote from the That's convenience cool. of your home. Right, like so, you order up a, a worker to come prove your identity, they come to you, totally. and you're good to go. We just had this instance last week in Utah. Okay. So it was election day. And they just opened beyond overseas citizens. Anybody with a disability could vote with votes. So also a historic moment. Yeah. Out of the blue, a 106-year-old lady <laughs> yeah, contacted Utah County and was like, I want to vote this way. Mm -hmm. Can you come to my home? Yeah. So we show up with a tablet. This woman literally is 106, is sitting in her chair. Um, she's so with it mentally. Immediately she lights up and she's just like, look at all these people in my home because the news showed up. Right. And so I'm sitting right next to her with the tablet and, you know, helping her get set up. She did not have to scan an ID in that instance because we had somebody from the county there with us who was able to verify her identity in that mm -hmm. moment. Um, and she was able to vote with a tablet. Um, right. Super interesting. Using our system. Very cool. So uh, another thing, the voting from your home, it's super easy. But I think the benefit of going to a polling location is you're in public. And like, what if I don't want to have a wearable bracelet on me that's measuring my heart rate? The, this, the founding ethos and the story of why votes needed to happen was because a militia person said, you like, controlled your vote. And here it's like, isn't this opening that up to more abuse? Because you, it is a private thing now. And like voting itself is private, but you're in a public space when you do it. And so there's other eyeballs to make sure that no one's pressuring you. And in this case, I'm in my home. I'm alone. But am I alone? It, it, that seems like rife for abuse. Like some dudes come over and says, hey, I have a thousand bucks. Open up your phone. I'll watch you vote. Here's a thousand dollars. We'll see you later. I'm just curious. How do you grapple with that potential scenario? Yeah, um, that's also a great question. Um, and I also think that that happens in the current system. Right. Um, I think in our instance, and we've had an instance in some of the previous elections that we've run, mm -hmm. we do allow ballot spoiling. So if you, what does that, what does that mean? Yeah. Um, if you cast your vote and feel like, oh, I made a mistake, I didn't do it right, or I was under duress, or mm -hmm. XYZ, you could contact your election official and basically spoil your ballot mm -hmm. and vote again. Okay. So you get a do-over and you're, it's kind of good until like the election closes. Yeah. Very interesting. So the, great. So I want to kind of open it up to broadly, like, I think there's a lot of topics, conversation around like civics and tech right now. Um, and I think like Facebook is a prime example. Like we built these platforms that we didn't think were going to play a role in democracy. That certainly wasn't their point. And now like, as the world has become more online, the platforms we built online have started to mirror the offline world in ways I don't think we could have anticipated. Um, so do you find it hard as votes to kind of like 
it seems like it's a great idea, but the climate around the idea is like really cautious. Um, so what is your take on kind of like the, the, uh, collision of civics and tech, uh, and the climate around that? Yeah. I wouldn't just say cautious. I would also say toxic. Hmm, yeah. Um, um, I think about this all the time. Uh, at the end of the day, I'm interested in, um, more closely approximating the relationship between a citizen and the government, if you will. Right. And so I think technology will inherently be a part of that problem, but I do not think that it will solve the entirety of mm. that problem or that challenge. Right. Um, and so I think with us being lumped into this current cultural moment of all of, you know, the fake news and, a lot of villainization, rightly so, in many cases of these other platforms and how this disinformation has spread, which we've been part of. Um, we've, I think, also in some cases been lumped into the category of is this compromising elections and election security? And I think it's been a big challenge and a learning experience for us as a very small, nimble company, right. getting a lot more press than usual for mm. a company our stage <laughs> right. to figure out how to deal with that and to figure out how to deal with media, which you and I were having a conversation before this started, that sometimes the media perpetuates and creates the problems of this disinformation and, and fear spreading because mm -hmm. it, it gets clicks and the media is also in hard times. And right. so I think we stand at the precipice of a lot of unknown in terms of how we grapple with these questions. And so I, I don't know that I have any answers on this intersection, but I mm -hmm. think it's really important that we all think about it and, and talk about it because technology opens up a lot of ways for us to connect to one another better. Yeah. And at the same time holds, it's a double-edged sword. It holds a lot of danger in distancing us. Right. Also. I think that that's a really great answer. So I know the electronic voting also has um, cases or countries that have used it. I know Estonia is like one of the leading countries in this space. Um, and so other countries have figured out it. I don't see why we couldn't. Um, so I'm curious, looking forward, kind of what is the vision for votes? Um, do you have any cool projects that you're really excited about? Uh, do you see kind of a positive momentum? Um, and, you know, in a perfect world in five to 10 years, how is this platform being used? Yeah, really quickly. Estonia is amazing. Yeah. And <laughs> um, if you haven't learned about Estonia, you should, because it's fascinating. We spoke to the former president. No way. Yeah. Yeah. This is now an Estonia podcast. We're pivoting <laughs> hard here. Super uh, local. Yeah. Very cool. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Just quickly, they do everything digitally when it comes to government. And the only, there's three things you have to show up in person to do. One is to get married. And another one is to get divorced. <laughs> <laughs> Which go hand in hand, I suppose. You yeah. can't, electronic divorce would be, that's tough. I know that's Super like rough. ghosting to the next level maybe. Totally. <laughs> uh, but I think the future of what we're trying to do is um, try to continue to push the envelope while remaining very in tune with how things are currently run. So already we've had to back our system, which uses blockchain technology to secure um, I guess the vote data, if you will, mm -hmm. in an anonymized way. We've had to back that methodology into the way currently elections are run at the county level, which in most cases are, you know, our counties are the ones that run elections and they're largely headed or run by 
um, in a very interesting way, like middle-aged women. Um, They're the ones on the front lines of our elections. And so um, some are very good with technology. Others aren't necessarily very good with technology. So every mobile ballot that's submitted on our platform produces a formatted paper ballot that can be printed immediately and tabulated per the traditional tabulation mechanisms. So I give that example because that's, I think, as we step forward, we not only are trying to push the envelope, but also remain very sensitive to where things are. Um, And I think I get really excited about the future of this technology. Mm -hmm. Oh my goodness, what would it look like if one day everyone's you know, voting on on a smartphone device, what if we could widen the vote beyond a binary yes, no, this candidate, that candidate, and every citizen have, you know, a theoretical percentage of the federal budget that they could allocate toward the issues they care most about? Because I think that voting is much more nuanced than just a yes or no. I mean, I feel torn. Maxine, who voted in Utah, who's 106 years old, said she felt torn and wished that there was a maybe option at one point. Right. So... I get excited about how we might think about voting in the ultra future. I don't know if that'll happen in my lifetime yeah. or if the planet will be around in my right. lifetime. But well, we hope so. Yeah. That just blew my mind. The spec, <laughs> like now I'm just thinking of like you could rank 60%. Well, yeah. yeah, that's like, very cool. I want to give 500 of my $1,000 to education right. and then 200 to military because like I do think security is important. Right, 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 right. Oh, very cool. Um, all right. So Bridge the City is all about action. Um, and so we'd like to leave all of our listeners with the action steps. So I'm going to divvy this up into two parts. The first part, you've had a lot of experience in Milwaukee. You've worked at City Hall. Um, so I'm just curious uh, in your time here, and, and you can take lessons from other places you've lived too, but uh, one action step for um, a, a local resident uh, of Milwaukee that they can take to kind of make a, a, a an immediate impact or a, an impact in their community. Um, something that like people aren't thinking about often that maybe you're like, this is an underrated thing they can do to make a difference. Seek conversation with somebody fundamentally different from you. I think that we are in a time when that's very much endangered. And I think the more we actively seek to have a conversation and listen to somebody different than ourselves, the more potential we have as a human species. And I think I'm really interested in what we're all capable of as a human species. So if we all can do that a little bit more, that'd be great. I love it. And now this is like a more votes specific one. So uh, when our listeners hear this, if they're like, this is really cool. I'm, I'm a big believer in this. I want to see this spread far and wide. How should they go about advocating for votes? Uh, I would say, um, so elections here are run by the director of elections in the county of Milwaukee. Um, And so uh, getting in touch with your, either your county clerk and or the head of elections. And especially if you are a voter who self-identifies as having a disability, or if you are a voter that is military or Peace Corps or somebody that is registered to vote in Milwaukee but lives abroad. Um, right now, I think those demographics have the best ability to request to be able to vote this way. And then beyond that, um, if there was a movement in the city of Milwaukee to do all the mayoral elections this way, um, that'd be cool. I know there's a lot of like organizing that happens here. Yeah. Um, and so organize, organize a group. 
awesome. get in touch with us and we'll support you in whatever way we can. Yeah. Well, that's great. Um, Hillary, thank you so much for coming on the podcast, um, talking about, in my opinion, this, this really cool technology, but I think the really, the coolest thing was kind of your honesty about some of the, the issues that you're grappling with, that we're all grappling with in our democracy. And I trust an organization that is at least thinking about those then instead of just pushing them under the rug. So I appreciate the honesty and uh, thanks for being on Bridge the City. Thank you so much, Kyle. Appreciate it. So I want to give another quick thank you to Hillary Brasseth once again for coming on the podcast. She is the director of product for Votes. Hopefully you found the interview uh, and the conversation uh, insightful, and it, it certainly gave me a lot to think about, uh, and I definitely will be checking out the work of Votes going forward. Uh, they're doing some really interesting, groundbreaking work. Uh, at the top, I mentioned the political open mics. I just want to give another reminder that will be coming up in March. Stay tuned for more information. Um, but if you haven't come to one, they're a blast. Uh, we'd love to see everyone at our next one in 2020. You can follow us on all the normal social channels. We have a Patreon account if you want to support the podcast financially. And we hope, as always, that this podcast is helping to inspire you to action, giving you some ways to get involved that maybe you have never thought about, as well as presenting some pretty interesting information. So thanks once again for listening, supporting, and please reach out to us. Let us know how you are helping bridge the city. Bridge the city.